John T. Um, it's great to see you this afternoon, and I'd love you to turn back to Mark's Gospel, which is where we've been, uh, where we've been learning from together as a church. Mark chapter 2, and it's on page 1004. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray that God would help us. Let's pray that he'd speak to us this afternoon. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would please help us to examine and to know and to experience the deep, deep love of Jesus. Father, thank you that we could spend all eternity and there will still be more of the boundless love of Jesus to explore. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us. Father, please give us alert minds and warm hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the uh, favourite words that we have as human beings is the word new. Right? We love stuff that is new. So if I say to you, uh, do you want a jumper? You might say, okay. But if I say, do you want a new jumper? It's quite exciting. There's something about the word new which is, gets our hearts beating a little bit faster. We love stuff that's new. I remember very clearly few years ago getting a new bike. Now I'm, I'm like a grown-up, right? And I was proper excited about my new bike. I wheeled it out of Halfords and it smelt new. I don't know why I was smelling it. I, <laughs> I was smelling it. It smelt new. Everything, it felt new. It was new. And it felt so good and so exciting. And I took it for a ride around the block like you do when you get a new bike. And when I got back to my front door... I looked at my bike and I thought, it's not new anymore. The wheels have got muck on them already. It's funny, isn't it? Newness. It's so tantalizing. We, we crave it. We love it. We put all our hope in it. And yet, as soon as we've got it, it's gone. It's not new anymore. The new phone. You think, well, I've got my new phone. And as soon as you've got your new phone and you look at it, you think, this is wonderful, this is all I ever hoped of. And then you turn on the telly and there's an advert for an iPhone, what are we on? Seven, right? There's an advert for an iPhone 7. And it just, just isn't quite the same anymore. Newness, it's, we love it, we crave it, and yet it's an illusion. And I think many of us live our lives like this. My life could be so much better if I just had a new house or a new job or a new relationship or a new church or a new government in charge. We constantly think this, is, this new thing will solve all my problems. There's a, an amazing uh, part of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Don't worry about turning to it, but just listen to these words. Um, totally nails our culture, totally nails our hearts. Listen to this. What has been will be again. Whatever has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already. Long ago, it was here before our time. And here is humanity chasing after what is new, desperately running after it, and it's, it's not there. It's not real. 
And we, it's like chasing the wind. It's like going to the park with a big net and running around. And someone says to you, what are you doing? Oh, I've just come to chase the wind. That's the Bible's picture of our lives in this world. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, in this chunk that we've just read, Jesus uses this language of new. And Jesus says he's come to bring something new. But hang on, wait, wait, wait. Because Ecclesiastes says there is nothing new. No, it doesn't. Ecclesiastes says there is nothing new under the sun. If our vision and our limit is to this world, this world under the sun, there is nothing new. But Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the eternal King. Jesus brings something from beyond the sun. From above the sun. The kingdom that we've been reading about in Mark's Gospel can genuinely be described as new because it does not originate under the sun. It originates with God. It is the kingdom of God. And therefore, here is something that satisfies our craving for newness, if we can just see it. That's what I want to try and show you. Jesus uses this language. So look how he does it in verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will tear away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins. Both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus says, I am new. My kingdom is new. That's what makes Jesus good news. That craving you have for newness is because you were created for something new, but it's not under the sun. You were created for this. You were created for this king. That was certainly true uh, for the people of Jesus' day. The problem is they... They longed for newness, and yet they had a tough time letting go of the old. That's what we're going to see in this chunk. So let's, let's uh, dive into the passage with that kind of background, that kind of idea of newness. Let's dive into this passage. It all starts with a discussion about fasting. So let's, let's pick it up. Uh, we've already seen in Mark's Gospel that Jesus has kind of burst onto the scene. He's been declared to be the King and the Son of God. He's... He's establishing this kingdom which confronts the kingdom of this world. He's really, last week we saw him challenging, saying his kingdom is about forgiveness and his kingdom is about freedom. And we saw this stuff last week. Let's let's continue to watch him as he establishes his kingdom, as he explains to us what it means that it's brand new. So here's Jesus having this discussion. uh, And again, he gets into a confrontation. So John's disciples and the Pharisees, they're fasting. That means they're going without food. It means they're uh, denying themselves food for a religious reason in order to show their devotion to God. Some people came and asked Jesus, how come your disciples aren't doing it then? Come on, Jesus, if you're supposed to be the super religious man, you don't look as religious as they do because they're fasting and your disciples aren't. What's going on? Well, let's just think about this idea of fasting for a second. Fasting in the Bible is caught up with the idea of sorrow 
and mourning and sadness over the brokenness of this world. It's actually only commanded. There's only one day a year when the Jews were supposed to fast. That was the, there's only one day a year commanded. But they'd kind of introduced lots more times to fast. And fasting was an expression of sorrow. But the weird thing is it had become a badge of honor. It had become like a spiritual pride thing. So it's supposed to be, I'm so devastated that this world is so broken. I'm fasting because this world is so messed up. It had become, look at me. I am super spiritual because I'm fasting. That's what they'd done with this ritual that God had given that was a good thing but had become a sense of pride. They liked people to know they were fasting. Isn't it weird that something that was supposed to express humility so quickly became all about pride? Have you ever experienced that? Do you know anything of that? How quickly pride grabs a hold. And Jesus criticised because his disciples don't fit in. And Jesus, his answer is, ama- his answer is amazing. <laughs> look, look what he says. Verse 19. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? He uses this incredible picture of what is happening. He says to them, he effectively says to them, you've missed what's going on. It's a crazy idea to think that at the moment when the bride... Yesterday I was at Josh and Ali's wedding. Okay, and it was a terrific day, and Ali looked lovely, and Josh looked all right. And you know, it was, it was a great day, and we sang, and we da-da-da, and then we all sat down for the meal. And imagine if all the food was there, and I just said, actually, I'm fasting. Not, not today. That's weird. That's to misunderstand the time. That is an inappropriate response. It's a time for feasting, not for fasting. It's a time for eating, for enjoying. And Jesus says, I've come. It's not time for fasting now. It's a time for feasting of joy because the kingdom's arrived. (laughs) This is what they've missed, right? Fasting is not a thing in itself. It points to another thing. And the the thing that the thing points to is Jesus. And so all this fasting, this longing, this broken world saying, Lord, I long for you to put things right. I long for your kingdom to come. I long for it. Jesus says, I've come. Why are you still fasting? But they've made the thing the thing. They've made it all about the fasting. They prefer the ritual to the reality. They prefer the, they prefer the per- performance to the person. Look, try, I, I want you to, this, is, this is the heart of what we're talking about today. This is our big thing today. And I, let me try and illustrate this for you as close as I can. Imagine uh, a boy and a girl who love each other very much. Happy, happy. And uh, the boy is going away for a year abroad, where there's no internet or anything. <laughs> Such a place exists, I guess. And uh, he says to his, to his girl, I'm going to give you a ring to remind you of me. And then when you feel sad, I want you, to, I want you to look at the ring, I want you to hold the ring, I want you to enjoy the ring as a reminder of our love and a reminder that I'm coming back. And so off he goes. And for the girl, it's very special. She loves this ring. It's really precious to her. 
And she, it really helps her. It helps her to remember her boy. And she, she loves it. It's her precious. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she polishes it. She spends a long time looking at it. And she builds a little case for it and a kind of little shrine around it. A year goes by and you know what's going to happen. The boy gets back, knocks on the door. She says, I can't, I, I can't come now because I'm cleaning the ring. I'm still polishing the ring. He says, what are you doing? She says, no, no, I, I love the ring. And what has happened is that she has transferred her love to the ritual rather than to the relationship. That's what has happened. That is exactly what has happened in Jesus' day. He turns up and they love the ritual and they don't love him. Actually, what Jesus is saying when he talks about being the bridegroom is even more staggering. Uh, Keep a finger in Mark because I I want to show you the depth of what Jesus is doing. Turn to Isaiah 62, which is on page something. Page uh, 750. Keep a finger in Mark because we're coming back there. Have a look at Isaiah 62, page 750. And verse 4, where it says, No longer, this is verse 4, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Who's the bridegroom? In Isaiah, who's the bridegroom? It's God himself. God himself who says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be the bridegroom. I'm going to marry my people. This wonderful picture of a wedding day. Here's Jesus. He rocks up and he says, the bridegroom's come. Do you see how big it is that Jesus is claiming? I am God himself, come to my people, and they would prefer to fast than to love me. They love the ritual, not the relationship. And that is what Jesus is exposing as he talks to these Pharisees. And that's what Jesus is saying with this old new stuff, right? The old patch. In In both those examples, the old takes precedence over the new. Okay? Think think about it with me. The old takes precedence over the new. So, I've got an old garment. Oh, love the old garment. I need a little bit of new to patch it up. Do you see how it's actually the old that I love? (laughs) Or I've got this old wineskin and I'm going to contain this new wine within this wineskin. It's the wineskin that contains everything. And Jesus says, no, no, I've come to... It doesn't work like that. I've not come to fix up a slightly broken problem. I've come to bring something new. that's not been seen before. 
the whole point, right? So God had given a law. God has given a law and it had stuff about fasting and it had stuff about Sabbath and it had stuff about all sorts of things in it. The whole point of the law was to point to Jesus. That people might love Jesus and yet people love the law and didn't love him. They preferred the ritual. They preferred to this thing rather than this. Why? Why would people do that? Well, I guess it's because over here I can feel proud. I can say, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look how good I am. Look at me fasting. And it feels good. It feels good to do the ritual, to tick it off and say, come on. But over here it's about relationship. Actually, I I have to humble myself. And it's about, it's much bigger than the old. And Jesus says, don't try and squish me into some ritual. Come to bring something new. A whole new relationship, a whole new kingdom. Now, just to slightly mess with your brains and slightly push this a little bit. Uh, should we fast as Christians? We won't take a straw poll. <laughs> should we fast today or not? Is fasting a good thing for Christians to do or not? How do we decide? <laughs> Well, as far as I can see, there are, here's, my, here's my three points on fasting. You ready? Here we go. There is no obligation to fast. You are under no obligation. Nowhere in the New Testament does it command you to fast. You are not under obligation. You do not have to fast. That's my first point. Here's my second point about fasting. There is massive danger in fasting. Massive danger. And the danger is this. The danger is that I love the thing. The danger is that it makes me feel, oh, I'm spiritual. I didn't have lunch today. I think I'm pretty good. It's very similar to the dieting thing, as far as I can see. Those rare occasions when I've been on a diet, what basically I've found has happened is it just makes me so proud. When, I'm, when the diet's going well, I mean, obviously, I'm in, feeling sad when it's not. But I remember being in an elders' meeting, right? This is on, okay, I, I just share this as opening my heart to you. I was in an elders' meeting once. Like, that's proper, you know, we were supposed to be being serious leaders and the elders of this church. And this massive plate of cakes came around. And I said no. And everybody else took one. And it felt so good. I just sat there thinking, you're such greedy pigs, look at you all. I'm like, what is that? And yet, you know, that is what can happen in any ritual, even coming to church. Anything that we do can so quickly become a ritual that we love the ritual rather than we love the, the relationship. So I feel so good. Actually, I was at the prayer meeting I prayed out loud I did this I did this there is a danger in all of these things of pride that that we become proud and fasting is one of the worst 
If we fast, we will discover massive temptation to pride. So you're under no obligation to fast. There is a great danger in fasting. Here's my third thing about fasting. The world is still broken and fasting helps to remind us of that. Now, I need to explain something now, okay, in order to make my point. And that is something I've been meaning to explain for the last couple of weeks because we really need to get this in our heads. And I was going to do a fancy diagram, and I haven't, so I'm going to have to wave my arms, and you're going to have to imagine the diagram as I draw it in the air. Uh, It goes like this. Here's the old, 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 old. Here's Jesus. Now, we might expect it to go, oh, great, here's the new. Old, gone, new, come, right? That would be the way we might expect it to be. The Bible says it isn't like that. The Bible says it's like this. Old, 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 the time of pointing forward to Jesus, of promise, of broken world, of sin, of messed up life and difficulty and death and pain and suffering. Old, Jesus, new, but the old continues. So yes, the new has come, but the old goes on as well. So we live now in the time of the new Old, new, new, old. The time of overlap. There is a day coming, the Bible says, when Jesus will return and the old will finish and the new will continue forever. Can you understand that? That is why your experience of living in this world is not one of kind of painless joy. If it is, then I think you're living in a different world to me. And yet it's not also of just joyless pain. We live in the time of joy and pain. The time of new and old. The new and old go together. That's why I think Jesus says in verse 20, look at verse 20. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. Jesus knows there is going to be a period of time when actually fasting still will be appropriate. Because we live in the old new. And so, yes, we celebrate with joy. It's a time of feasting because Christ has come, and yet it's a time of fasting because Christ is not fully here, as he will one day be. And fasting is a way of saying I don't want this world to satisfy me. I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for you, Jesus, my King. I'm hungry for your kingdom. We live in such an indulgent society where we indulge ourselves all the time. You know, I think one where, not just in food, but in pleasure, we just sit down for an evening, we switch on the telly, we don't even think about it, we waste hours watching telly, and we never deny our, we're not very good at denying ourselves. And yet here is an opportunity, as we understand this new, old thing that's going on, here is an opportunity for us to say, do you know what? I'm not going to turn the telly on tonight, I'm going to spend the evening reading, praying, thinking about Jesus. And you might think, oh no, I don't want to do that. That's why you need to do it. Because it shows you how much you love this world. I don't claim to be a great person of fasting at all. 
I'm not making great claims about this. I tell you what, though, the few times when I've fasted, it's made me, hasn't been a happy, joyful experience. It's made me realize how desperately I love things of this world. How my joy and my satisfaction and my contentment are so tied up with things of this world that if I go without them, it exposes me. And it points me and it says, man, I need Jesus. So you're under no obligation, massive danger in fasting, but our world's broken and fasting is a great way to express that and to feel that. So anyway, uh, you can have a bit more of a think about that. The Bible doesn't say anything about how long you should fast for. Don't do this kind of, I'm going to fast for seven days. You'll, you'll die by the end of seven days. Don't do that. We do, you know, that's, that's over here. That's the proud spiritual, ah, look at me, I'm going to get up at five in the morning and read my Bible for seven hours. No, you're not. And even if you do, you just get proud about it. It's, it's humble. It's saying, Lord, I'm just going to, I'm denying myself this to express it. You need to work that out. There's freedom in that. You can ask me more about that um, if you want, but all the way through, you need to watch out because you will prefer the ritual to the reality. You will love the, this because <laughs> it makes you feel good. And if it's not helping you love Jesus more, don't do it. Good. Uh, we need to crack on. Oh, bother. So, um, verse 23. Um, let's, let's crack on. We're going to see more of this now, okay? You got the principle. I wanted to take time over the principle because now it's going to be easy, right? Because now he does the same thing, not with fasting, but with Sabbath. Right? So here we go. Uh, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples walked along and they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? So here they are. Their big point is, they're breaking the law. They're breaking the law. They're really, really bad. What's Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer is not... Listen, this is really important. Jesus' answer is not, oh, no, 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 they're not breaking the law. They're not breaking the law. Actually, Jesus' answer is, there is something that supersedes the law. That's his point. They, they have the law in first place. Everything is about the law. That's the thing. Jesus says, no, no, there's something bigger than the law. And his name is me. And because I wasn't around in the Old Testament in quite the same way, his name was David, who was basically me, in a sort of, my great-great-grandfather. Not literally me. Don't think I'm doing that, because that would be bad. (laughs) Accuse me of heresy and shoot me down. But his point is that David, in, in some sense, in his role, kind of is... Above the law. And so there's this, he's not above the law fully, but he's, he kind of supersedes it. And so when he and his men are hungry and they're on a mission for God, and they're God's chosen one on God's mission, and it's, the men are hungry, of course they can eat the bread, which the law says they're not supposed to eat. Do you see how Jesus argues it? He just says the law is wonderful and it's important and it points to me, but it's not the most important thing. I supersede it. I'm what it's about. Which is why Jesus then says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It's about me. In, um, in Ezekiel 20, we won't turn to now because we're running out of time, but in Ezekiel 20, the Sabbath is described as a sign of the relationship between God and his people. It is like a marriage ring. That's what the Sabbath was. This one day a week that they were to rest, it was a wedding ring. It was a, a sign of their relationship. And yet they, they love the ritual more than they love the relationship. They love this day and they make this all about this day and you can't do this and you can't do this and look at us not breaking the Sabbath. Look at us doing what's good on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, it's about me. It's all about me. That was always what the Sabbath was supposed to be about. Uh, You can turn to this one, Isaiah 58. Have a look at this, Isaiah 58. This is so different to how we normally think about these rules. So this is Jesus only unpacking what the Old Testament always said. It's on page 747. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, it's always been about me. It's always been about finding joy. It's my holy day. Here's Jesus. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You find your joy and your rest in me. Sabbath is all about rest, okay? It's the... It's what God did at creation on the seventh day of creation. As God created the world, on day one he made light and dark, day two he made sky and sea, day three he made the land, and the, he made the land. day four he made the sun, moon and stars, day five he made the fish and the birds, day six he made the animals and the human beings, and on day seven he rested. Why? Because he was tired? Ooh, no. Because he finished. Because the whole goal of creation was rest, was relationship with That's what it was all about. You didn't need a Sabbath. The the whole creation was heading towards this Sabbath. But when human beings rejected God and rejected that relationship, the whole of creation was broken. It became a place not of rest, but of work and of pain and of sweat. And so God said in this broken world, he said, one day, have one day to remember this rest that you were created for. One day to enjoy it. Jesus comes. And the whole point of Jesus coming was to bring us back into that rest, back into that relationship with God. That's why he had to die on a cross. Because of our sin, because we've rejected that relationship. Jesus died. He took my sin. He died in my place. He restored my relationship to God. Now I can enjoy Sabbath with God. And so Jesus says, these guys are with me. They are keeping the Sabbath because they're with me. That's his point. And the relationship with Jesus is how we keep the Sabbath. He is what the Sabbath 
is all about. Now, at risk of being slightly controversial, I've got three things about the Sabbath. Okay, three things about the Sabbath. Firstly, Sabbath is not an obligation. By by which I mean Sabbath keeping, the one day a week in seven, is not an obligation that is placed on us today. My second point is there is great danger in keeping the Sabbath. Because we get proud. Look at me, I don't go shopping, I don't do my shopping on a Sunday. Look at me, I, I don't play games on a Sabbath. You know, look at me, I'm so proud, it's just all about me. And the day becomes full of these rules that we can and we can't do. There's great danger in keeping the Sabbath. Third, this world is broken. And the Sabbath is a great way to remember it. And one day a week, we get to practice resting with God. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to enjoy God? And Sabbath and keeping this day is a day of showing and celebrating Jesus. And Jesus then goes on into chapter 3, and we haven't got time to do this now, so I'm going to stop. But it's very similar stuff. He takes a broken, withered man, and he restores his hand. And he says, you stubborn, stubborn people, that you'd rather have your day and watch this man die. You'd rather destroy this man for your ritual. Now, let's, let's ground all this. I think we need to be very, very careful because our hearts are just like the hearts of the guys then. We still prefer ritual over relationship. We still like to be able to perform rather than enjoy the person. And so this afternoon, perhaps you can even see some of that in your own hearts. Jesus came to bring what is new. Is my battery gone? Am I dead? This is my time up. Stop! I've turned you off. And perhaps some of us we need to confess how we take pride in our performance, how we take pride in our rituals, how we take pride in the things that we do. And Jesus says, stop being so proud. Enjoy me. Come and rest with me. Find your contentment in me. I'll satisfy you. And one day, the old will be finished forever. And there will only be new. And the last chapter of the Bible, God says this fantastic thing. He says, see, I am making everything new. The old is gone. The new has come. The old order of things. No more crying or mourning or sorrow or pain. None of that stuff Only joy and feasting. No more fasting on that day. Only feasting. No more one day Sabbath keeping all Sabbath. You see it? And We live now in this in-between time and I guarantee you it is only Jesus who can satisfy you. We need to stop. I'm going to pray and then we're going to enjoy together celebrating the new thing that Jesus has done. He is a wonderful king. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we, we confess that in our hearts we see that love for ritual rather than for relationship. Love for the old rather than the new. Love for what makes us feel good rather than what glorifies Jesus. And Father, we ask that we might find in Jesus feasting. That we might find in Jesus Sabbath rest for our souls. That we might find joy in him. Lord, forgive us for all the new stuff that we pursue, all those things that we think are going to satisfy us, all the ways that we indulge ourselves with the stuff of this world and we never deny ourselves. We, we eat of this broken world and it leaves us empty and we just keep eating. And Father, we ask for your forgiveness and pray you'd set us free, free to see Jesus, free to enjoy him. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.